Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Shannon Holmes, who's the founder and director of QuickStay, which specialises in short-stay accommodation management. We have a chat to Shannon about his background and how he first got started in investing because he's got quite a bit of runs on the board. And then we take a deep dive into short-term rental as an investment strategy. We talk about how that might fit within an investor's portfolio, the types of yields and returns, and how to actually set up and manage that type of property. We also talk a little bit about the major hotel booking platforms and, of course, Airbnb and how he works within the Airbnb system. It's a really interesting sort of left field look at some of the potential for investment properties if they fit the right locations and the right type of property and in the right area, which we talk about as well. It's an interesting one today, which I hope you enjoy. Here's Shannon. Shannon Holmes, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks for having us, Mike. Kick us off, if you'd be so kind, with who you are. Obviously, you're Shannon Holmes. We've, we've covered off that bit. But what do you specialise in? What do you do? Yeah, look, um, I started a, a short-stake property management company a couple of years ago called QuickStay. Um, so what we do is we list people's properties um, on the, the short-stay market where um, guests can actually um, stay at their properties, whether for a holiday or, or they're for work. So it's about helping uh, investors to make more money from their property um, and consider short-stay uh, leasing compared to uh, you know a long-term rental um, that you know might not give them as much income. So uh, yeah, it's I guess why it started. I've got a background in property investing, and uh, it was really about how to increase cash flow and how to help investors put themselves in a better position um, so that they could continue investing and adding to their portfolio. And, and the short stay market uh, is uh, a really great way of, uh, of increasing your cash flow, especially with properties you've already got uh, and increasing uh, your yield from, you know, from a standard three, four or even 5% up to something that could be eight, nine, 10, 12% yield, um, which is a and you're, advantage. You, and you're Melbourne based as well. So we're not exactly talking about the yield capital of Australia. Um, so these are potentially yields that are, you know, maybe yeah, closer to that two or three percent, and you're you're getting um, a lot higher amount. So we're we're doing a deep dive into the short stay accommodation space today. But I want to get some background on young Shannon Holmes. What were the posters on the bedroom wall growing up? Uh, posters on the wall. There, there wasn't any property ones. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if they make them. <laughs> But uh, when I was younger, I was into sport. Um, So my dreams and my goals were to to play AFL. And um, I guess that's where all my my drive and all my time was spent up till probably the age of 18. And uh, I guess at the time didn't didn't make the cuts in the end. Um, And yeah, had to pursue other dreams. So um, Property wasn't something that was in my family. Uh, I didn't know much about it, didn't have much of a background on it. Um, and yeah, just, I guess, focused on um, getting full-time work. And um, by the age of 25 was when I 
purchased my first property. So um, yeah, tell us about the first one. Yeah, look, there's probably about two years in the making, to be honest. Um, I spent a lot of time reading books and going to events and speaking to people who uh, were were investing. Uh, it was a big leap, uh, a scary one, and I guess there was so many different ways of doing things and. Um, yeah, for, for me, I uh, ended up buying an owner-occupier home um, on 600 square metres, uh, purchased it on my own, lived on my own, uh, and just focused on, on paying it off. Um, and I guess one thing led to another from there and, and got right into investing and uh, property developing. Um, you know, so I've been investing and in that space for, for the last 13 years and also have a background in um, in helping people grow property portfolios. So I guess with my, my background and education and knowledge um, was why QuickStay was born. Um, you know, we didn't just start QuickStay because we, you know, stayed in there BB once and thought, hey, uh, this sounds like a great idea. Let's uh, let's start a business. Um, <laughs> a lot of great businesses start that way, but you put, you you put a little bit more thought into it. You uh, say, look, I'm sure it was the, the first instinct staying in Airbnb. Uh, this is great, um, but obviously there was a lot more that went into it um, down the track before we before we began. And um, yeah, we we've actually got an apartment ourselves and. I guess how we really got into Airbnb is that we uh, have a, an apartment in Perth and um, at the time the market was going through a bit of a, uh, a downtrend with all of the uh, the mining jobs cut. Um, so a lot of people escaped and moved out of Perth. So we had a, an apartment ourselves that um, basically we couldn't get rented out for 10 weeks uh, and got mortgages to pay. So um, needed to have some income coming in and after traveling and staying in Airbnbs ourselves, um, we thought, let's give this a shot. Um, so I flew up there, um, gave it a bit of a renovation and just tidied it up, furnished it uh, and listed it. And, and within a couple of hours, we had a booking. Um, and then the rest is history. That, that property for, for two years had a 90% occupancy rate, 93% occupancy rate. Um, which was very, very strong uh, and we we're getting double the income um, than what we were uh, initially through through a long-term rental. So that's when I seriously started thinking about, yeah. uh, hang on, there's a, there's a business opportunity here uh, and, and one thing led to another. We, you've certainly got us. You've certainly got our attention uh, with with double the income and booking. With, you know, within a couple of hours. But let let's go back to the beginning. Can you start us off with these these booking sites? There's there's a lot of them. They're all over the television. My favourite ones are our one where he rides on the pencil and stares at the person sort of cutely. He's my favourite. Um, there's the polar bear one. Then there's the lady who sort of swans about getting the cheap deals. Uh, how do they make their money and why are they such a big thing in yeah, Australia? Look, these operators are very successful. Um, they've got a very good model where they're making income from the guest who is making the booking uh, and they could be making anywhere from, say, 15 to 25% of, um, of, of what that booking amount is uh, for, for their stay. Then they're also making money from either the hotels or, or the, the managers or the operators who are listing the property. And again, they could be making, you know, uh, 10, 15, up to 20% um, from that end as well. So so these operators could be making 40, 45% um, 
or say 30 to 45% uh, from the total booking income uh, for every single booking that's made. So these guys uh, do quite well and um, those sites that you mentioned, they're all quite similar. They're all, they're all connected to uh, pretty much hotels and, and resorts. There's been a big push I've noticed from local operators or local hoteliers or moteliers to encourage people to book direct, you know, citing issues like these big sites being owned uh, by overseas entities and not paying tax in Australia. Do you think no matter what sort of the argument or the opposition is, these these types of conduit sites are well, here to tax stay? Side, uh, aside, um, these sites, if the more direct bookings they're having, it means that the less commissions they're paying out. Um, but it's, the flip side of that is that these um, operators, they need these sites to, to increase the income, to increase the occupancy. Um, you know, these big companies, the ones that you've mentioned, you, you see them on the commercials because they're spending millions of dollars a year on marketing. So they're actually putting the name out there um, so people can basically go to their sites and book. Um, and, you know, probably 50% to 70% of bookings are probably going to come through those channels uh, unless it's a very well-established, um, you know, a, apartment or hotel that, um, that that's you know done well with its um, you know creating bookings itself so um, without them um, people would struggle and, and I guess with so much competition as well uh, it's all about exposure yeah and I guess there's a lot of there's a lot of smaller places that aren't going to be able to compete and have that global brand. I mean you'll talk to people that say I only ever stay in Hilton. There's Hilton hotels everywhere and that's a big brand but there's there's probably tens of thousands of smaller apartment chains that are never going to sort of be front of mind. So yeah, it, it sounds like they're, they're here to stay. With these sites though, do you, uh, let's say you are an investor within a, a complex, you own one apartment within a complex, are you able to list on these hotel chain sites or is that more a bulk thing where, where we're talking about whole buildings? Yeah, look, uh, how does that work? You mentioned, um, it's pretty much impossible for uh, someone just to list their own property on there. So, you know, I can't list my house on, say, Trivago by, its, by itself. Um, you know, it's it's predominantly for... That's the lady that's one right. for anyone that's... <laughs> uh, that's gonna be, I mean, I'm, I make out that my description based on mascot <laughs> is, is clearer, but I think people know Trivago probably more but than it, they yeah, know the lady. Look, it, it is difficult. So they, <laughs> they have agreements with, uh, with these big complexes, but times have changed um, and, and Airbnb really disrupted the market um, with allowing individuals to actually list a property on their platform. And uh, over time now you're starting to see some of these other platforms, um, you know, I guess change the way that they've, they've set up their websites uh, and allows, you know, uh, I guess management companies and operators to list, um, you know, personal residents on these sites if they're bringing multiple uh, properties to, to that particular platform. You mentioned Airbnb before, which didn't come up because, well, mostly because it doesn't have a mascot. So they've lost a point there, but that was, that's the big daddy. When that 
came to town that made a lot of noise. Uh, we're doing $2.6 billion worth of US dollar revenue as of 2017, my little Google search tells me. Uh, what's different about Airbnb and why did it make such an impact? Yeah, look, it was a disruptor mainly because uh, I guess your, your booking.coms and, and those other um, hotel booking sites had agreements with hotels. Um, where Airbnb, basically they created a platform that individuals all around the world um, could actually list their own personal property on there uh, and, and started off with just renting a space or renting a room. So it didn't even have to be the entire home. Um, and basically, yeah, you could put your bedroom uh, available uh, for rent and someone could knock on your door and, and come and sleep there for a night or a few nights and um, and that was it. So people obviously saw a lot of value in that and uh, thought, you know what, I've got a space, I can make some money off this. This can help chip away at the mortgage and uh, give us some extra um, cash flow. And obviously it's, it's led from one thing to another. So um, yeah, Airbnb really taken that, you know, sharing economy um, through property to, to the next step. And what do you see happening in that sort of space? Is it likely to remain sort of the dominant player for the private sort of individual, somebody with a place to rent market? Look, I think everything's got an expiry date on it. Um, I think it's going to be around for a long time, but I think someone's going to come and, and do something slightly different and have a variation to it. Um, but it's here to stay. It's, it's all over the world. Um, you know, it's it's bringing a lot of money into uh, to the economies. Um, you know, so it's you know, yeah. There's I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. That's for sure. There's definitely people that I think would love to see it go a long way away. And right now, and that is mostly when you look at the press, strata owners banding together to ban short-term rentals like Airbnb from their developments through you know, the, the strata rules and that sort of stuff. Where, where is that up to now and has, has that had much traction? Look, each state and each country's, um, I guess, got different laws and, and rules. Uh, in Melbourne, it's, it's here it's here to stay. Uh, obviously, it's going to be reassessed and, and things are going to change over time. But, um, you know, there's talk about Strata's uh, saying that, you know, they've got to have a vote, um, you know, and if 75% of people um, or more don't, um, you know, don't agree with it, then it's, it doesn't stay. So um, at the end of the day, it's, it is something that is fairly new uh, and everyone's trying to adjust to it. I guess the, the thing to keep in mind is that you're in residential areas, um, you know, so you, you do need to respect neighbours and, and it's no different to renting out your, your property on a 12-month lease. Um, you know, there's rules that um, that they have with the owners or with the real estate agents to follow and no parties and no excess noise and things like that. So Airbnb is no different. Um, and but when new rules come into play, um, then... The, the managers and um, the, the hosts just need to adjust to it and just make sure that um, they're following that and setting the right expectations and, um, you know, vetting the right sorts of people that uh, are going to stay at the properties to make sure that no one is going to be affected. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of hotels you go into that says no schoolies in the Gold Coast, so it's just having those particular rules set up. Um, 
on the investor side of things, and obviously, as you referenced in the beginning, you're an accomplished investor yourself. Is there good money to be made by investors in renting their properties out yeah, short look, term? Yeah, look, I will say that um, Airbnb or short staying your property doesn't suit every single property. Um, it's, it's really all about the location. Um, you know, you've got to think about why people are going to that area. And, and if you're going to list your property, um, you know, how many other properties might already be uh, listed? Is there a saturation um, that you might not get a certain result? Or is there demand where, um, you know, there's lots of people, uh, you know, looking for accommodation in those areas, whether it might be, um, you know, there for work or um, for uh, there for holiday. So, um, look, it's... It's about just making sure uh, the numbers stack up. And, and when you're talking about rental yields, uh, let's say in Melbourne where property prices are high and property and capital growth uh, has been pretty uh, pretty solid for a long period of time, then there starts to be a big difference between the rental income that you can achieve versus uh, what the mortgage might be. So uh, short-staying your property, you know, rather than achieving, say, a 3 or 4% rental yield, you might be able to achieve a 7 uh, an 8 a 10%, 12% yield um, if it's the right property and the right setup. So... That means you can pay off your mortgage a lot faster. Um, yes, there's some other costs and, and you'd have to factor in furnishing your property um, and, and paying for your power bills. But, um, you know, when we've got owners who are making twenty, thirty, even $40,000 a year, uh, more than what they would if they were just leaving it on the um, long-term rental market, then that's it, it, it's a massive difference and something worth considering. A huge difference too. I'm guessing that those figures, you know, talking about ten or twelve percent, we're talking about a very low vacancy rate, i.e., days in the year rather than weeks. Or does that allow, you know, roughly based on those figures, a sort of a standard, you know, one one week Look, vacancy rate? Yeah, two percent. I should say. A good question, um, and it's really where the property is located. So in the city, um, you're going to have high occupancy rates. Those examples I was giving you of people making some, you know, extreme returns. Um, some of those properties are even uh, in coastal areas, and their peak times really, are, especially in Melbourne, where the um, the summer's not quite as long as uh, some other cities. You know, their peak times are probably that November, December through to probably March, uh, and, and they're making almost the you know the, the yearly rental income in across those maybe three or four months, um, and, and then getting you know their weekend bookings after that. So the occupancy rate is much lower in comparison to properties that might be you know within that kind of five k zone of the um, of the city, which tend to have maybe a you know an eighty percent so- occupancy rate. Yeah. So when when we're sort of considering a, a property, let's say we want to get into this Airbnb game, is it more about the type of property or the location or is it a mixture of both or is are they both important but one's more uh, important? What there's a lot of things here? to consider. Uh, obviously, it's going to come down to budget um, and really it's going to come down to planning and what you want that investment to do short term and long term. Um, but look, the, the amount of properties or the type of properties that we manage, uh, there's a mixture of one bedroom, two bedroom apartments, uh, and then we've got five bedroom and six bedroom houses. So, um, you know, it really just comes down to, to what you want that property to do. Um, but we've just onboarded a new one this week and the guests, uh, sorry, the owners purposely purchased it 
because he travels to Melbourne uh, once a week. So rather than staying in a hotel, he wants to live in the property himself um, once a week uh, and then rented out all of the other nights. Um, you know, so he picked a property that was in a location close to work um, that also would give good results uh, on those other days that would you know, essentially pay off his mortgage. If we take that as a bit of a case study, I mean, I, I often look at these huge big Winnebago's and those sorts of things and think, gee, that's a lot of hotel rooms, you know. <laughs> you could stay in some nice places for a long time and never get to the price of that. If we think of that as a bit of a case study, okay, well, the alternative is you go to a place and you pay for your for your hotels and you don't have the flexibility of maybe having furniture or things that you like in your own place and the continuity. If we sort of... Um, you know, take that away, would that person financially, just just financially speaking, be better off buying something that's maybe perhaps a more targeted capital growth area and it's sort of like just a little bit of a, they're taking a hit on the investment for the comfort and that ability to stay in it or is it actually a legitimate decision for an investment from a, an investment metrics point of view, do you think? Look, it really comes down to the investor and each investor's got their own uh, goals um, mm. and, you know, the, the own, their own uh, boxes they need to tick. So, you know, me personally, a couple of years ago, I'm looking for properties in capital growth. Uh, but then when you've got uh, X amount of properties in your portfolio that are at that capital growth, then you need to complement that with something that's going to give your yield and, and balance out that cash flow. Um, you know, so again, these individuals, they're coming to us saying, we've got this property, it's in this area. Um, can you manage it? Um, I don't go too far down the rabbit hole of why they've invested it. Um, you know, yep. should they have thought about something else? Um, but at the same time, if there's people who are looking to invest, um, they can speak to us and, um, you know, if they've got, I guess, some unanswered questions on, on maybe how they should go about it, um, then we can definitely, you know, talk to them and, and present a couple of different options for them to think about as well. I think that's some great advice. But let's for a moment, if, if you will, focus on the nuts and bolts of getting a property ready, say, to, to list on a platform like Airbnb. You and I collaborated on an article a little while ago I was talking about the tax implications of renting out a property. You were talking about getting it ready. And I thought this, you know, this will be five minutes work and he'll be down to the local for a <laughs> cappuccino. But I underestimated how much there is involved. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah. Look, to, to, to list a property on Airbnb, um, before you even uh, just list it on there, you've got to get your property ready. Um, you've got to furnish it if it's unfurnished or you've got to, um, you know, spruce it up and update it a little bit. You need to get some professional photos to actually make the photos look good uh, and, and make people want to click on your property. You've got to create a listing um, that describes your property, its location, what's good about your property, why people should stay there. Um, that's the easy and fun part. Um, and that's just for Airbnb. You've got all these other channels to um, to list your property on if you're trying to get uh, a higher occupancy rate, uh, and and the process is uh, is different. So once your property is listed on um, Airbnb, then it's managing the bookings or it's managing the guest interaction. So you could have people who uh, 
living in China and, and looking to come to your property for a week and they've got 15 questions. They want to know if there's internet. They want to know if the aircon works in summertime. Um, can they bring their dog? Like there's, you need to be responsive. You need to get back to these people uh, instantly. Uh, it becomes a very customer service role. Um, and because if you don't, then, you know, the, the other person that they've inquired about or the other property, um, they've responded and, and all of a sudden they've got a booking. So that's just one aspect of um, the, the interactions that you have with inquiries. Then you've got people who actually confirm a booking. Um, they stay at your property. Um, they might have questions once they're at your property. Uh, they, the property could have a spa bath and they might not know how to, to work it. You might have instructions there, but um, they're not following it or understanding it. So you're getting a phone call and it could be 9.30 at night. Um, you know, you're dealing with that. Or there could be uh, an issue with some plumbing or, um, you know, there's a water leak. So there's, there's maintenance issues that we're uh, also obviously managing. Then, um, you know, outside of that, it's um, you're, you're managing all of the cleaners and getting the property after each person checks out, you're, um, you're getting it professionally cleaned, you're taking away all of the dirty linens, the sheets, the towels, replacing those, stocking up all of the amenities like your soaps and toiletries and garbage bags and, and all of that. So then there's that process getting it ready. That's there's a fair bit involved with that uh, and it can be time consuming uh, and especially if you don't live near the property and you've got to travel there back and forth. Um, you know, so that there's a lot involved and a lot more that's involved um, just on that side of things. I have to say it sounds absolutely terrible. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, this is where I probably need to apologise because you actually thought it was such a good idea that you were going to start a business to take that pain away from people. Now, um, are you a glutton for punishment or are you someone that is very good at setting up systems to manage this sort of stuff? Is, are, there, are there sort of savings or advantages in doing it in bulk uh, is, what I guess, what I'm, what I'm trying yeah, to get look, at? It's, I think people like the idea of, um, and it really comes down to the individual, they could be semi-retired, um, that might be given them, uh, it could be a bit of a hobby for them to go and drive back and forth from the property five times a week um, to go and, you know, change over some sheets and, and give the house a three-hour clean. Um, and it's each to their own. But we've had lots of people who have tried that and then after a while they've just gotten over it. Um, you know, so it, it is, it needs to be a well-oiled machine. Um, you do need to have a lot of systems in place. You do need to have a team. It's not a one-man band type um, job that you'd want to be doing uh, because it can become a full-time job. Uh, and at all hours of the night, you know, if someone's calling you up because they've locked themselves out of the house at 10 o'clock at night and you're going to have to drive there to let them in uh, and that's disrupting your Saturday night and it's your son's birthday or something like that, it's, um, I'm pretty sure that's something that a lot of people don't want to deal with. So we, we, we get the right people involved yeah. to do that who <laughs> don't mind doing that. Beautiful. Well, yes. I mean, that sounds, I can imagine there'd be a myriad of things that pop up with, with the management. So it is a little bit, there is a bit more to it than just taking the photos and getting the funky soft furnishings. How, how does the, your, your platform, so your business obviously is quick stay. Uh, how does that, how does it, how do you help investors to manage their property? What's the sort of the start and finish of the service? 
Yeah, look, it's full turnkey, uh, which means that the, the owner does not have to do anything whatsoever. The owner, the only time they'll hear from us is basically when we're sending them out their monthly statement, um, letting them know how much they've earned uh, and the funds are going to hit your bank account. Um, so we, once we um, basically get the keys uh, from the owner, we will go and um, set the property up, get it ready, organise the photos, get the cleaners in there um, so it's ready for the guest. Uh, and then that's it. We'll list all the, list the property on all the booking platforms. Uh, we'll manage all of those interactions. We'll manage any maintenance issues. Um, you know, if the lawns need doing once a fortnight. Um, the bins need to be taken out, you know, once a week through garbage pickup. Uh, all of that's taken care of. So there's not a single thing that the owner has to do. Um, you know, so we try to, uh, you know, make it as easy as possible for them. It's, it's like going through, I guess, a normal real estate agent. You have a 12-month lease and you don't really need to do anything. I guess the difference is that the real estate agents in those, um, you know, 12-month leases aren't really doing much themselves either. They might go do an inspection once a year. Um, but with us, we're inspecting the property. It could be four or five times a month after each booking. We're doing a full walkthrough of the property. Um, it's getting professionally cleaned. The people who are staying, they're usually staying there using the beds and they're out exploring, um, you know, so there's not as much wear and tear. Uh, you know, so it's, it is quite different. Um, and the service that we provide, uh, there's a lot involved just from the management side of it. Uh, there's also the technology side of it where we're using a lot of different technology platforms to help with our pricing, um, to help with messaging, to help with really just uh, to get the best and highest occupancy as possible. What about with holiday homes? So we used the example before of the gentleman who purchased a property because he sort of wanted to stay there for work purposes. How, how does it work with a property that you want to stay as the owner in that property periodically? Yeah, look, for, for us, I want my investors to enjoy their property. Um, and, you know, the ones we take on, they are full-time um, short-stay properties. So we open the calendar up 12 months in advance. But I'll let my, my uh, clients know that at any stage they can, they can book it out. They can go away for a weekend or a week or whatever it may be. They get access to the calendar so they can actually block it out and just book it in themselves. They obviously don't get charged for it. There's no fees or management fees on top of that. Um, you know, we obviously need to clean it. So there's a cleaning fee charged at the end of it just to set it up for the next guest. Um, but, you know, we want to encourage people, uh, especially people who are looking to invest in property that they do want to access from time to time themselves and lease it out. Uh, means they're getting the best of both worlds. So, um, yeah, we're very flexible that way. Beautiful. What about tax? Uh, now, obviously, this is this is where people are starting to tune out, but <laughs> there are some important implications with, say, having a holiday house and occupying it partially yourself, and then it being a rental. And obviously, you want to be prorating some of the expenses. What what are some of the implications for this sort of investment from a tax point of view? Yeah, look, we don't give any advice on that. We do recommend that um, the clients do speak to uh, to their accountant. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is income coming in, uh, which they do need to declare. Uh, we provide statements, we send them across, so they've got all of the information that they need to provide, and, and then it's up to them to um, to manage their their finances uh, from there. 
Of course, yeah. And with every investment property, whether it be short term or not, there, there should be an accountant involved. I couldn't stress that enough as, as, as being a pretty valuable um, the valuable partner in your investment journey. What about um, horror stories? That's something that I think that might turn people off. We've all got horror stories of tenants that set up meth labs or bikey gangs or what have you. There must be a lot of short-term rental sort of horror stories out there. And um, I'd love to hear some fruity ones if you've got any anecdotes. But um, also, how do, how do property investors that decide to short-term rent insure against these sorts of incidents? Yeah, look, I think with anything, there's always going to be, and it doesn't matter in you know in what industry or, or I guess what sort of field of play you're looking at, but there's always going to be someone trying to bend the rules somehow. And look, there's been parties. People have had parties at properties before, and that's probably been the, uh, the issue that people... Um, here or are tied to that oh here we go there's a, there's been another party uh, and it's been an airbnb property and um you know there was damage to the house like you're hearing about this because airbnb is something new 10 years ago you didn't hear about this um you know 10 years ago or even longer um people who had uh, a lease for 12 months um had parties and caused damage and as you mentioned um, you know, had uh, all sorts of stuff going on with drug labs and things like that. Uh, I just purchased a property two years ago that I renovated uh, and put on the long-term rental market because it wasn't in an area suitable for, for short stay. And um, I tend to just put an ad on Gumtree uh, before I actually give it to a real estate agent. And at the time, I actually had two guys come through and um, they're like, oh, you've done pretty well this renovation. We're going to be pretty straight with you. Um, you know, we're, we want to turn it into uh, a drug lab, basically. Uh, oh, very they, upfront very gentlemen. Upfront. Um, you know, so uh, I said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And all of this stuff happens, um, you know, so whether it's short stay, long term, um, the best thing for anyone to do is, is just to try and minimise any of those impacts as much as possible. And for us, we don't do single night stays. Um, you know, people who are looking to, to have a party are not going to go book a house for three weeks uh, and then um, have a party. They're generally just booking it for one night, get in, get out. Um, you, yep. They're generally, uh, I guess, younger people who are, are booking these. So, um, you know, when people are, are making a booking with us, there's a certain criteria that we only accept. People must uh, have to provide a licence. Um, they must be over 25. Um, you know, as we ask them why they're travelling, how many guests and, and things like that. So we try um, everything we can to minimise that and touch wood to this day. We've never had an issue. We've never had to kick anyone out. and We've never had any, uh, any damage caused by a guest, uh, you know, anything major anyway. Wow. And, I mean, you had me at... <laughs> this drug lab story. I mean, I have to admit, my head was spinning with the idea that people are sort of up front sort of saying, would you mind if? Um, yeah. Well, uh, I, I was shocked, be, I but they, they did rock up with That's... a couple uh, wearing bum bags and, um, yeah, you know, they, something didn't look quite right uh, at the time and it happened, um, you know, and you still hear about it these days, so... Uh, it's, I think like anything, it's, yeah, just, just doing your groundwork a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Now, is there a sort of, I know we sort of talked about the, the merits of 
of short-term investments in an investment portfolio. Is there a sort of investor that you would recommend a short stay style property to? I mean, there's the obvious example that people may want to sort of live in the property or occupy the property from time to time. But is there any other sort of person that you would recommend this as a as a as a structure to or as a yeah? As a look, it's, to? it's really it could be someone getting into the market um, that they might have a certain budget. You know, so their budget might be, you know, four or five hundred thousand, which means it doesn't allow them to, you know, go buy a house, but they need to be, I guess, close prox they want the, the property somewhere that I don't know, could be close to family or, or something. Like th- there's so many uh, questions to ask um, the investor and the investor to obviously ask themselves. Uh, you know, so people at the end of the day, if you're investing in property, uh, you're generally doing it for the long term. Um, where you do want it for for your capital growth, but if you're needing some, you're, if you're needing a yield play, um, because as I mentioned before, it needs to complement something, or it's part of a strategy to um, help boost up your savings uh, to then buy your second property sooner. Um, you know that there's so many advantages in in purchasing a property and uh, that's going to give you a higher yield that can actually fast track your results um, much sooner and get you. I get you having uh, or purchasing more properties in the market. So uh, again, that's going to come down to the individual really understanding what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, of course, um, people need to do their own research, blah, 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 disclaimer bit here, but there'd be a long queue of people who'd be happy to, to jump into a place that has a 12% yield, of course. On that yield, obviously, occupancy is uh, one of the one of the variables there. So, with with long term leasing, you're sort of fixed into that structure. Obviously, leases expired, and sometimes tenants will change over and that sort of thing. But is is the occupancy quite variable? Is that a bit of a downside? And 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 is that an easy question to answer? I.e., CBD Melbourne might be sort of like clockwork. There's not really much vacancy, but some of the seaside things yeah. are well, seasonal based. We're picky with the type of properties that we take on. Um, our our results that we achieve are, are pretty consistent. So, um, but the properties that I take on, there's not really anything that's achieving under say even say a seventy five percent occupancy, which is which is pretty solid. Um, mm-hmm. If there's something that's you know that might be a forty or fifty percent, I will let the um, the owner know that that's probably not going to be suited to to our model. Uh, you're probably better off leaving it on the long term. But at the same time, if it's something where it's in an area that um, you know might actually give you some higher nightly rates to to justify that, um, then it can work. So it's it's there's a few variables um, and there's a few different things to look at. There's a property um, that uh, we've just onboarded recently, which is down the coast. So it's in a, if you were to look at, say, the Mornington Peninsula as a whole, um, it gives you an occupancy rate of about 30%, which is quite low. Uh, but this property um, was already on Airbnb for the last 12 months and it, it brought in 100K income. So uh, again, it comes down to the property um, and if it's in a desirable location, um, you know, there's beaches, there's wineries, there's golf courses, um, and it comes down to the setup of the property. And if there's, um, you know, an oversupply of similar type properties or uh, is there not so many? 
um, of these type of properties. And that, you know, could, this property is a six bedroom house. So, you know, there's a lot more three and four bedroom properties, but six bedroom properties, there's not as many. So that means people who are looking to, uh, you know, get away and, and have 12 guests sleep at a property, uh, they're probably limited for options, um, which means you can get a, a decent yeah. occupancy out of it. Now, one little thing that I was just doing, and I was listening intently, but because I'm a numbers nerd, I was cr crunching a, a couple of numbers, just interested in this occupancy side of the equation. So if we take, for example, uh, a place that might rent on the private rental market for $500 a week, um, that in Melbourne, what would that be? A two-bedroom apartment, something I'd like say, that? I'm yeah, not up to date with my Melbourne better. rental prices, but... And is it reasonable that if you were to short-term lease that you would be able to be sort of looking at $1,000 a week, so that would be $142 a night, something like that? Would be the would that be the going no, so rate or would it be a little bit higher? Uh, pretty much for a two-bedroom property, um, you'd be looking anywhere between that kind of, mm -hmm. um, say, yeah, 140 up to, say, kind of 180 and, and then you've got – it's very seasonal, right? So if there's events on um, or if there's public holidays or um, – um, if that location all of a sudden, um, yeah, has, has got uh, a music festival or something on, then those rates could be put up to 250, 300 bucks a night. Um, you know, we've got we've got Christmas uh, coming up, yeah, so okay. November, December, January, February. Um, you know, your summer months. That's where there's a, a higher influx of travellers coming into into Melbourne from all over the world. Um, you've got a lot of events, so the prices go up a fair bit, and then it's just managing the prices in the the colder months. Uh, but you still got your working travellers, uh, so prices might drop, uh, but. That's why it's important to, you know, not just list your property and have it as a set and forget. It's, it's about understanding what's actually happening around you. Uh, and we use technology to find out what other properties have been rented out for, how much, how often, um, so we can actually price it correctly to, to get the most out of it. Interesting. And obviously, you'd know when some of these events are, are coming up and that sort of thing as well. So if, if we plug that, say you're 140 to 180, I've come up with $164 in my little spreadsheet thing. Comparing that to the sort of standardly rented property, $500 a week with a 100% occupancy rate that we're talking about 26 grand uh, a year in rent, if we're doing it at 164 a day as a short-term play with 75% occupancy, which I think you mentioned was, you know, you don't really have anything under that. We're talking about $44,850 a year. So it's a different of 18000 or almost $19,000 a year as a short-term rental, even with it being vacant 25% of the time. And if we made it vacant 50% of the time, it's still actually coming out ahead. Um, but at 75%, we're talking just under 19 grand of extra revenue. And I'm assuming that you're not charging $19,000 a year no, to manage two-bedroom apartments There's also in management fees with your long-term rentals. Um, you know, and I guess one factor that you, that's probably not in your calculations is that if your property has just come off a 12-month um, lease and you need to find new tenants and you give it to the local agent, and especially if it's a two-bedroom apartment where there's, you know, 500 similar properties that are available for rent in a similar location, then you're not going to rent it out tomorrow. Um, you know, we've had people who have had their properties listed for 12 weeks 
with an agent, uh, and that's twelve weeks of income that that's lost. You know, so you're, you're talking, you know, almost twenty percent um, of of your yearly income gone just from having your property, of, you know, listed to try and rent it out. Where on short stay, um, once we put the listing up, we can get bookings within two hours. Uh, and have bookings come through straight away. So um, that's also another important factor to, to put in your calculations when um, you know when you're looking at um, I guess the differences between the two. Of course, and if you're doing your calculations, <laughs> don't do it on a podcast while the other person is speaking and punch away. But of course, I can't help myself being a tax depreciation nerd. But those numbers are quite compelling if you've got a property in that situation. So you might not necessarily think that a two-bedroom apartment is a good investment in Melbourne. But if you happen to have one or you want to sort of have partial use of it, then obviously this this scenario works very good on paper. Um, Shannon, if there are people that have questions or want to talk to you about... Uh, <laughs> punching a, a few things into an Excel calculator and doing their own sort of due diligence. How, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, look, the best way, um, they can hit our website um, at quickstay.com.au. Uh, they can email me directly uh, at hello at quickstay.com.au. And, yeah, from there we can um, basically set up a time to have a chat and uh, understand what it is that they're um, got and, and what they're potentially looking for and how we can actually help solve any problems they may have. Beautiful. And just to finish us off today, if there's one piece of advice that you could share with would-be short-term property investors, what would that be? Um, don't, if, if you still want to um, have an enjoyable life, don't create a second job if you're not looking for a second job. I think that's pretty good because looking at some of the things that, that you that you spoke about earlier, it can be a pretty exhausting sort of uh, second job, as you say, with fielding all of these inquiries. So I think that's fantastic advice. So thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having us, Mike. Cheers. Chat soon.